The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. All right, welcome to the March 20th newscast for the Colorado Equals Security Podcast. This week, Alex is in Las Vegas uh, getting mad for March. Apparently, this is a normal thing, and I'm sure he's very drunk at this point. So we're very lucky right now. We have Matt Sharp with us. Matt, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, great. Uh, thanks. Uh, appreciate for ha- uh, appreciate you having me on in Alex's absence. Uh, my name is Matt Sharp. I am uh, recently hired on to the LogicWorks team as a CISO, but uh, before that, I spent a number of years with some of the uh, premier cybersecurity consulting firms based uh here in Denver market. So. Yeah. So we've known each other for, what, two or three years probably, right? I think that's about right. I think yeah. just about the time you went over to Crocs, maybe a little bit before you went over to Crocs, we got to know each other. Uh, and I know, you know, you've had some experience doing the consulting route and doing the, the uh, security leadership route. And why don't you just talk a little bit about how you went from consulting into security leadership and, and where you are now? Yeah. Uh, well, so I think uh, for a number of years I was with, with the Coal Fire team and then transitioned over to Fishnet that was uh, acquired by uh, Blackstone and merged with Acuvon. Yeah. Uh, during that time, I was uh, the consulting model looks something like finder, minder, grinder. So you find the business, you mind the business, and then you basically you do the work. Um, <clears throat> and so I sort of progressed through that transition and then uh, decided that I was going to try my hand at uh, actually you know, leveraging all the content and the skills to build a program. And that's what I did at Crocs. So uh, Crocs was all about uh, basically rebooting a program from scratch. That's awesome. Yeah. And then so your new opportunity, if if folks don't know who LogicWorks is, can you give a high level, what do you guys do there? Yeah, so uh, LogicWorks is a firm that's actually based out of New York. Uh, They've been around for 22 years, but they're they're, uh, early adopters of the DevOps frameworks. So their uh, big focus is public cloud automation, uh, very heavy, um, one of the uh, leading partners for Amazon Web Services with uh, all kinds of certs up and down their competencies, and we're actually just named as a leader in the uh, Magic Quadrant. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah. Cloud automation. Cloud automation and services. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Congratulations to do that. And, and, and I guess the bad news for those of us here is that means you're going to be leaving Colorado. Well, I think yeah, uh, I will definitely be leaving Colorado, but I think I'll still be very connected to the market. So. Uh, one of the other guys uh, based out of this market that's also joining the company is, is a guy by the name of Chuck Price, and he's starting up their uh, professional services team, um, and he's going to be based here and looking to hire for a number of roles um, in this market. So awesome. uh, the company very heavily differentiates from a security perspective, and um, you know they're doing all the cool DevOps and cloud automation yeah. stuff as well. Well, definitely sorry to see you go, but awesome that you get this opportunity, and, and I think it's gonna be, it's gonna be a lot of fun. You're gonna get to learn a lot of cool stuff during the process, and we're looking forward to hearing about how it goes. Cool your success. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, definitely looking for uh, a pretty steep learning curve. Yeah. So. Well, very cool. So we're gonna go through the newscast together. Um, before we dive into the news for the week, I'll give a kind of recap of my last week. I got to I got to go to Snowfrock last Thursday, and it was it was really a very great it was a great conference. So. Congratulations to Steve Costin and the rest of the board for uh, Denver OWASP who put the conference on. They had Jim Manico came out and Laz came out. They had Dan Cornell. There was a lot of good speakers, a lot of, a lot of good tracks. Um, and really, it, it was one of the more fun conferences I've been to in a while. They did it at the Cable Center down there at DU. Oh, yeah, wow. Which, you know, there's it's that, a great venue. That yeah, atrium area there. 
Um, it was, the keynotes were in there, the the bigger uh, talks were in there, and it it was a really good feeling. Uh, a lot of a lot of networking, a lot of sharing, and, and actually some good learning that went on as well. Jim Manico, if you haven't had a chance to hear Jim talk, I highly recommend it. He's maybe my favorite speaker. He he's so passionate and he's full of energy as he goes into what some might think of as a kind of a a boring topic. He's going to go into some specifics on application security, and you know the talk I went to was all about OAuth and. How do you use OAuth? How do you not? How do you not mess up your implementation of OAuth? Uh, all those specifics, and he's passionate. He's talking just with lots of energy, and everyone walks out of the room like, "I'm gonna go do OAuth." <laughs> That's <laughs> Which is awesome. Kind of a hard thing to accomplish, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like getting people jazzed up about uh, audit or security. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay. Well. So anyway, Jim, Jim's a great guy, and anyway, congratulations to the OWASP uh, team for for pulling off the conference. So let's go ahead and uh, jump into the news for the day. Top of the list was the. The Level 3 and CenturyLink uh, shareholders have bro both approved the merger, or I guess really the acquisition, um, by CenturyLink of Level 3. So that was uh, exciting news, and, and hopefully the last thing really for them now is federal approval of the, of the deal. Yeah, I think this is great. Um, you know, you've seen a ton of, of um, consolidation in this, in this industry in general, and uh, we've got some great security leadership, so hopefully... But bringing those two companies together continues to maintain yeah. that leadership here in Denver. Yeah, I, I do. I do get a little nervous. You know, they, both teams have have great leadership, like you mentioned, and um, you know Dale Drew as the CISO for Level Three and Dave Mahon as the CSO for CenturyLink. Uh, both here in Denver, both with big teams in town, and, and I hope that they're able to to continue to uh, keep driving into the security industry that way. And, and Dale's a, a regular contributor to the security community, so yeah. I mean, I guess go away. I guess the uh, on the flip side, if they consolidate, there's going to be some good talent available in the marketplace. Right. So that's fair enough. <clears throat> uh, so next is a Fortune has their list of uh, 100 best companies to work for in the country, and a local company, uh, only one local company, made the list, and it's uh, PCL Construction. Yeah, so I was surprised to see uh, that we didn't have more f more folks in the top, uh, especially given the the heavy migration towards uh, this general market. But PCL, um, at first I was a little confused about it. I looked them up. The logo looks a little bit more familiar when you poke around. And y you mentioned earlier when we were talking uh, substantial revenues, uh, yeah. almost seven billion dollars in revenues. So it's, it's a yeah, it's for a company that I didn't recognize the name of. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, in the Denver market. Right. Yeah, I was really pretty uh, pretty shocked to see that as yeah. well. But they, I guess they've been on this list for uh, multiple years. This isn't the first time. Yeah, and, 12, I um, think. And it, 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 so they saw that every employee is given stock options and 90% of employees own stock in the company. And, and I guess that really changes the, the culture and, and it makes it a lot more in, innovative and interesting place to work. Yeah, I, I in particular was excited to see you know, some folks uh, that have been there for a while actually receive more from the uh, profit sharing and the stock uh, dividends than they actually do from their from their salaries itself. So to hear that that's happening at, at more levels than just the executive level yeah. says that they're they're really passionate about you know doing things right and making sure that the entire team benefits. And it's it's not that's not a high tech company, right? It's, this isn't a startup in right. Silicon Valley. It's construction. It, this is not where you expect to see such a high level of equity uh, compensation. So anyway, very cool. Uh, yeah. I'm glad that hopefully they keep doing that and maybe some other companies can, you know, take a page out of their book and, and start doing that as well. Yeah. So we included a, a link this week to the, the nine things your employees can do to help, help you fight cybercrime. Um, the interesting thing here isn't necessarily that there's a lot of innovative points in the article. It's really that this article was written for business leaders. It was written in the Denver Business Journal for, um, you know, not for the security crowd. That, that was kind of a neat thing to see pop up on the radar. Yeah. And, you know, I generally agreed with most of the points. I, I 
I think I would have uh, really categorized it as a security awareness training, sort of uh, framing out a security awareness training program. But yeah, you're right. For for the audience, um, mid-tier businesses that are looking to really uh, empower their employees to not give away the secrets, um, you know, definitely an interesting article. Yeah, so, so I'll, I'll quickly read the nine. We won't go through a lot of details, but uh, number one, make sure they're using strong passwords to protect private information. Don't open suspicious links and emails. Scan all external devices. Remind employees that public Wi-Fi networks can be dangerous. Protect company data and financial assets. It's kind of a general one, right? Yeah. Uh, the risk of social media networks. Use only authorized software and watch for phishing scams and social engineering fraud. So the categories, you know, I, uh, with apologies to the author, um, Morgan Mahoney, who, who I don't know, maybe the categories aren't what I would have picked, yeah. uh, but I certainly appreciate, Morgan, that you were able to get this article written and get it out to that, this audience and, and get some thought about security you know, outside of the IT and the security community. Yeah, and I think he's uh, an insurance guy, if uh, I looked it, it up. yeah, He's an, an advisor for CCIG. I, I don't know. Is that an insur- insurance group, maybe? I, I thought I clicked on it. I may, I may have clicked on the wrong stuff, but yeah. <clears throat> okay. So anyway, good for it. Yeah, you're right. He's, he's an insurance advisor. Um, so yeah, very very cool. And, and hopefully, maybe maybe he's trying to get his folks ready for cybersecurity insurance. That, that would make sense, right? Yeah. Um, so next on the list, uh, touch on WebRoot's uh, press release this last week. They... For the last, the last quarter, they now have had a uh, double-digit growth for twelve quarters in a row. For you know a pretty, you know relatively older company, uh, that's pretty impressive. Twelve quarters in a row of double-digit growth. Yeah, I think it really speaks to um, the fact that the endpoint market is heating up, and I think it speaks to they've done a fantastic job from a marketing perspective. So hmm. uh, I'm pretty sure I saw Webroot uh, advertising at DIA, so maybe oh, yeah? taking a book out of the uh, Barracuda. Barracuda. Um, <laughs> playbook but uh yeah i mean you know to see local company endpoint company uh seeing that kind of growth year over year is is, is definitely an exciting thing for us um i know they would say they're not just an endpoint company they're also a threat intel company just i'll yeah. put that out there that's they, they, they'd be mad at us if we don't throw that out there they do endpoint and they do threat intel yeah at this okay point. that's a fair i <laughs> uh, have done some mental rounding there for sure yeah, yeah fair enough <laughs> uh so the the last big news from the companies here in town is ProtectWise is now partnering with Demisto. Um, so ProtectWise, the local security company that does uh, really it's visualization and kind of your one-stop shop for network security in, in your company, partnering with Demisto, which is a company I hadn't heard of. Did, did you know Demisto? No. So I was surprised. So uh, my history with uh, ProtectWise was um, they're essentially a DVR for, for, right. for the network. And then they layer in all of these security uh, features on top. So the fact that, um, you know, Demisto is coming in on top of that, uh, I think gives them a pretty compelling story. I feel like um, they had a competitor for a while. It was Schneier's company, and I forget, mm-hmm. it was CO3, and I think that turned into Resilience. So oh, Resilience. I hadn't heard um, of Demisto at all, but it looks pretty great. Uh, pretty, pretty great. The they're talking about chat ops, which was yeah. a term that yeah, yeah. I wasn't particularly familiar with, so I had to look that so up. So Slack, Slack yeah. is the Slack and HipChat are the two big chat ops, and we, we use Slack at Ping, so I'm I'm pretty familiar with it now. Yeah, it's it's basically interrupting you every two minutes all day long. It's yeah, a, it's a very different bit, way of doing things. Um, I, I will read an interesting paragraph out of the press release. Uh, the ProtectWise and Demisto integration enables joint customers to fetch key ProtectWise observations, including detailed packet capture, for creating incidents in Demisto. 
Demisto playbooks leverage rich data collected by ProtectWise uh, for hunting for hunting files, IP, domain, and other indicators across the enterprise, enabling faster and more accurate response to incidents. Demisto's real-time interactive investigation using ChatOps extends ProtectWise's forensics exploration with a chatbot interface and empowers analysts to auto-document and investigate fast, faster. So basically, you know, ProtectWise finds the thing, Demisto enables you to respond to it better in your normal workflow. That's what yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. And, and to me, I mean, I looked at this and I thought, gosh, this looks a lot like automation uh, via API calls to all of your tools and then centralizing that so that you can, you know, workflow through that. They also said that there's some, some component of orchestration within there and I wasn't able to dive in far enough or I, I haven't met the guys or, or to right. familiarize with the tech, but uh, um, definitely something that looking at further, I think. Yeah, and Demisto is... they. From what I saw on the web, they're competing with Swimlane. And if you don't know Swimlane, they're another Colorado, Denver area security company. They're actually headquartered in, in Louisville. Uh, and they do exactly this, uh, orchestration for incident response. Uh, I'm going to sit down with their CEO pretty soon, and we'll have them actually as a feature interview on the podcast. Um, but I guess my, my call out to ProtectWise is, hey, look at see, see if you can do this kind of a partnership with the guys in town as well, just down the road. Um, and, and and hopefully we can help the swim lane guys uh, get some contraction there too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so last thing on the uh, for the news here, um, we we have recently put out the listener survey. So if you're on our our mailing list, you should have received a, a, a link to the Survey Monkey to ask you for feedback on the on the podcast. If you're not yet signed up on the mailing list, please go ahead and get signed up. We'll get you the survey out there. Basically, trying to figure out how we should balance. The time we spend here, you know, between the different segments and, and where you guys want to see more focus. Hey Rob, what's the URL again, and what's where, where's the? <laughs> That's a uh, great question. Where's the? Uh, I, so, I, I gotta go do this myself. Yeah, so it's it's go to Colorado-Security.com, uh, and at the bottom there's a you know sign up for our newsletter. Just an open text box at the bottom of there. You hit put your email in, hit submit, and you and you're good to go. Okay, cool. Um, so. Uh, jobs for the week. Uh, number one job we'll talk about is over at Cognizant. This is with our very good friend Matt Schufeld. Uh, either as the hiring, I think he's as the hiring manager here. He's looking to hire a senior cybersecurity manager, uh, which which it sounds to me like uh, a lot of words. I don't know, cybersecurity manager. Yeah. Well, I, here's what I can say, uh, having interfaced with Matt for a long time, um, you know, as a as a as a peer in the industry. Um, Matt's done a very good job in creating a lot of loyalty in his teams. I think yeah. that's that's safe and easy to say. And I, I think the other thing is he's very intentional about finding folks, identifying uh, areas of growth, making sure that they're passionate about that and really kind of tapping into um, that and stretching people. So, yeah. you know, from that perspective, I, I'm not super familiar with the role, but I do uh, give a lot of credence to anything that comes out uh, yeah. under his management. And I Exact same thing for me. You know, Matt's one of the guys I respect the most in town. And if you have a chance to work for him, I, I highly recommend you take it. Yeah. Uh, the Credit Union of Colorado is hiring an information security officer. I don't know much about that credit union, but uh, generally speaking, the credit unions don't have a ton of resources, and and and, the, and this security is very important for them. So you'd have a you'd have an opportunity to go so, do some innovative, interesting stuff there, uh, and hopefully, you know, make a change to the culture there. Yeah, and I think on the flip side, you know, you've got, here you have what I do think is is interesting is you've got financial institution, um, and generally they take ser uh, the security pretty serious. So uh, getting a chance to get in there and really build up a program um, yeah. could be a great opportunity. Pegrite, uh, they are a Colorado-based IAM consultancy, and I've actually run across them quite a bit in the last year or so since I've been at Ping. 
they, they basically come into an organization, help identify where's your IAM program, and then help you find the solutions to fill it out and, and get you all the way to where you want to be. They're hiring a security solutions consultant, and apparently they're also hiring a security engineer. I sent a note over to those guys as I was getting ready for the podcast to ask what they need. Basically, what they're looking for here is somebody who has experience uh, either running or administering an IAM program and having worked with some of the tools, Ping Identity, SailPoint, Okta, Oracle um, Access Manager, any of the big IAM solutions is what they're looking for here. Yeah, and is this intended to be, I mean, it's a consulting role, right? So this is going to yeah. tap into, I would assume, I would assume that their demographic is, or their client base is national. Is that true? Yeah, it is. An ad, they do have a national client base. I don't know if this this role has traveled or not, though. Yeah, okay. Um, so Axios, I don't know Axios, um, but they are hiring an application security engineer. Do you know those guys? I'm actually not familiar with those guys. Um, yeah, not at all. Yeah. So take a look at the link if, if you're looking to do AppSec engineering. Uh, NetSpy is hiring penetration testers. I, I think, you know, everyone, especially folks who are getting new, new into security, are looking for penetration testing and looking for chances to go be offensive. And here's an offensive role for you. So take a look. Uh, the U.S. Department of the Treasury is hiring an information technology specialist, uh, parenthetically, security. So I, IT specialist for the Treasury here in Denver. So you can go protect our, uh, our federal government. We appreciate you doing that. <laughs> um, OTS, or Open Technology Solutions, they're a financial uh, services provider, and, and I, I used to work for a competitor of theirs and got to know them pretty well. Uh, headquartered here in Colorado, they're looking to hire a, a, uh, sorry, lost it, a junior security engineer. So, you know, if you're more junior in your career looking to, to get into financial services, this is a great place to do it. They have a broad uh, customer base and, and can really get you a lot of exposure. Yeah, now, do those guys have a fairly mature security program, or is it, I mean, do you know much you know, about I, that? I don't know the details of their program. I can say that they're a fairly mature company, so yeah. I would expect that they, they've had a program going for five you know, five or ten years, Okay. Um, and they've had to go through numerous FFIEC examinations, so yeah. they should have, they should have you know... The basics are in place. place. Right. Yeah. Should be in place. Uh, Swimlane, we talked about them a moment ago. They're hiring a technical support engineer, so if you want to go do tech support for a security company here in town, uh, there's your opportunity there. You said they're based out of Louisville. Yep, up, up in Louisville. I, yeah. I assume that's where this, this role is going to be sitting too. Mm -hmm. Tangible security. I don't know tangible security, but they are looking for a Denver-based outside salesperson, and they call that person a hunter. So if you're a, a security guy or security salesperson here in town, uh, here's an opportunity for you to get to take a look at. And then the last one, uh, is it Optiv? So Optiv is, of course, the big security uh, VAR and services company headquartered here in Denver, and they're hiring a, a director of human resources uh, here in Denver. Yeah, that one's going to be an interesting role, I think. Uh, big challenge there, obviously. Optiv's got uh, a pretty powerful sales force, which means a, a, a heavy flow of projects, and yeah. I, I think it's just going to be a struggle for anyone with that much um, business volume to be able to maintain the, the talent to keep to keep all of those clients yeah, satisfied. Keeping up. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so that's it for our jobs. We have events for the week. There's four events coming up this week. On Tuesday, InfraGuard has their When Good Employees Go Bad event. That's in, that's in the morning on Tuesday. Um, the Colorado Technology Association has their STEM Talent Development Breakfast. STEM being science, technology, engineering, and math. Really, it, it looks like the, the topic here is to, to help come up with a strategy for how do we how do we develop that next generation of talent to come along and you know give us the workforce we need for 
for technology companies. Yeah, this one's close to, to home because my wife's a, um, a math teacher here in the, in the Denver metro area. So yeah. she's, she's always excited to see uh, the professional environment engaging in a meaningful way because they need some, they, they definitely need some guidance. And it's nice for her to be able to then connect some of that story back to the kids in the classroom and say, you know, if you want to do this kind of role or that kind of role, um, you know, these are the kinds of salaries you can make and pay yeah. attention because yeah. uh, algebra is going to be important. Yeah. So, it's yeah. nice to have some tangible reasons to care about math in high school, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think just, just like anything, when we're building a program, if you can explain the why to people, then, yeah. then they engage better. So that's okay. great. Uh, on Thursday, SecureSet is doing their introduction to their threat hunting program. Yeah. So this one, I feel like we should spend a little bit of time on. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see more proactive approach to uh, pursuing threats in the enterprise. My sense is there's not a lot of folks out there doing this. Um, and if they are doing it, they're not doing it very well. I don't know. I don't know if that resonates with, with, uh, with what you're seeing or, or yeah. the conversations that you're having with folks. It's really, I'd say generally it does resonate. It's really easy to, to spend all of your time dealing on the, the urgent, right? We have, we have vulnerabilities popping up. You know, there was the struts vulnerability the last week or so, and you have to spend your time looking through your systems to find out where the vulnerabilities are. You have to work on, you know, the audit findings or whatever it is that's really right in front of you. And, and hunting through your environment is never going to be urgent. But it's really important, right? Yeah. So, so trying to find time to do that can be a challenge in any organization. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, I think this is really, a lot of folks are innovating in terms of how do they, how do they accomplish this from a process perspective? What are the tools that, that you leverage to do this? But more importantly, uh, how does it affect the way that you're staffing? So from my perspective, getting a chance to have some direct insight from the guys over at SecureSet is fantastic. Um, I know they've been very tapped into the, startup market for a while and so uh yeah i think this one's going to be an exciting one yeah very cool so 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 what this uh session actually is is an introduction to a program that they're starting so you know they're an academy you can go sign up for their six-month boot camp for security introduction uh there this is their threat hunting program that they're they're going to be starting to do it and i think it's a shorter program um, at this meeting, they're going to talk about what you would learn during the program, and hopefully, I assume it's recruiting, right? They want to get some folks to start signing up. Yeah. yeah so if yeah. you if you're interested, or you're a boss in the area who might want to send some folks, or you might be interested, this is a good chance to come learn about what that new program is going to be. And these links are all in the show notes, or yep. where, yeah, okay. Yeah, all the Great. links are in the show notes, and then also on the website, you can always just go to our to our calendar of upcoming events to to see the events. The last event this week is. Uh, is Isaka's happy hour at, and comedy show. So they are they have an event at Comedy Works South. Um, you you send an email to them, you get a free ticket to go see Kevin Nealon, uh, the Saturday Night Live comic, um, come to his show. Just just basically fun, right? Uh, not not a lot of uh, agenda there, but good opportunity. Networking, networking for sure. I will say this, you know, coming off of a, a job search recently, the the criticality of of networking, and we're security guys who. Um, tend to be not as uh, not as social as you know you know the sales guys or the marketing guys and I do think that it's important to prioritize that uh, networking whether you're in a job search or not so that if you get you if you get there or you find yourself there um, yeah. that you're connected enough to, to you know to, to find jobs before they're posted on the job postings yeah I'll say people who reach out to me to connect while they're happily employed are people who I'm happy to have lunch with and have drinks with 
people who reach out to me to connect because they just got laid off and now they think that I'm useful to know, uh, less interesting to talk to. Yeah. It, it's, it's a tip. You don't get to know people before you need something from them and develop a relationship rather than just trying to trying to use them once you, once you need it. A few events that are noteworthy, not in the next week, but coming up in the next few months. Um, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their, their, their two-day Security Plus training. Highly recommend if you might want to get Security Plus training. This is, I think it's like 50 bucks or it, I mean, it's very inexpensive. You go, it is a drive to the Springs if you're from Denver, uh, but April 1st and April 8th, um, we have those events coming up. And you talked about that in more detail in the last uh, podcast yeah. last week, right? I did. And, and then in June, they have a second round of this. So if those April dates don't work for you, there's a, there's another option in June you could, you could attend as well. Great. Um, we, we also mentioned last week Denver's Women in Security event is getting started. I have never seen so much excitement about an event as I have around this. We, we put it up within you know, a couple of hours. We had over 40 people signed up, and you know, that was six or seven weeks in advance. A lot of, a lot of excitement here. Um, hopefully, you know this 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 group can really you know meet a need in the community and help help bring more women into security. Yeah. So so what are you um, seeing in terms of demographic? It's all women. It's um, not no quite. No, there's, there's invite or th- well, yeah. it's you know it's just an event you go sign up for. We've had a few men sign up for it. The vast majority have been females though. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and great. and we also had you know interest from outside of security. Um, the, one of the reporters from the Denver Post has reached out about it and hopefully, you know, going to get some coverage there and maybe she'll even come to the event. Um, so there has been a lot of interest in, in a what, basically why have we been so slow to get something like this going is, is kind of what I feel like right now. But, yeah. you know, we are where we are and, and we're making progress. So. Well, so what I think is really powerful is um, when you look at the research, boards of directors for publicly traded companies that have women on them outperform substantially. Hmm. Uh, and I have to believe that that's also true for uh, security teams with women in them. It's just a, a diversity in thought. Yeah, that's great. A uh, few more events coming up. We've talked about it every week. Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference, May 9th, 10th, and 11th. Registration's open. Go get signed up now. Uh, all the keynotes are, are confirmed. All of the events are locked in. You can go get your schedule going. Uh, and then the two days after that, the 12th and the 13th, is Denver B-Sides. Uh, a great event. If you spend the, the, the previous three days at RMISE, you can go blow off some steam and drink some beers with a, the group at, at, at B-Sides. Wax philosophical. Lots yeah. of philosophy in those conversations. Yeah. <laughs> are, are we fixable? Is it? Are we too far Are we too far gone? Yeah, there's there's some of those things. Uh, that's great. Uh, well, that takes us to the end of the newscast. Matt, anything you want to leave the group here with? Uh, gosh, uh, what would I leave the group with? Um I mean, I think, I think from my perspective that the Colorado Equal Security is a very powerful thing. Uh, really appreciate all the work that you, you guys have done, uh, you in particular, Rob, and, and Alex as well. Um, you know, you guys have pulled together a community in a very unique way, and we've heard it from a number of folks, including, um, you know, the, the CEO of Vericode said he's been all over the country, and he really... Um, see something different happening here so the fact that we've got you know Hick and Looper engaged in the conversation now and really moving the the, the story forward is very powerful um uh, so I would say thank you yeah in a public forum really appreciate everything you guys well, have thanks, done. Matt. I appreciate yeah. it well with that we will we'll go ahead and sign off for the week we do have the feature interview coming up with where Alex sat down with Alex Krylin who's one of the co-founders from secure set uh, you can learn some more about secure set here coming up thanks a lot for your time Matt Take care. 
Hello, this is Ian Buxton, Senior Director of Information Risk and Security at Vail Resorts. This is Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. All right, uh, this is Alex Wood here with Alex Kryline. Um, Alex, how are you? I'm doing really well. How are you today? Wonderful. Great, man. Um, I think we're going to have a great interview here. Um, why don't we start out, though, by uh, you can tell everybody who you are and, and what it is that you do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, my name is Alex Kryline. My handle is Acker303. Uh, and I work as a managing partner for SecureSet here in Denver, Colorado. Uh, and I run uh, with a partner of mine, Dave Odom, our uh, startup accelerator that focuses on investing in and helping support uh, cybersecurity startups in the areas of product development, team building, and sales. Awesome. Yeah. It's so, a really fun experiment that we've got really cool. Um, so how is it that you got started in the, the cybersecurity industry? Yeah. Um, and you know, what is it that are some of the things that you've, you know, kind of done in your past different totally. roles? Yeah. When I graduated from my undergrad, I had a humanities degree, right? And so I, I came into this from a really non-technical perspective. Uh, but one of my first jobs out of college was working at a value-added reseller. It was a great experience. Uh, people were really smart and we sold great products, which I appreciated. But I found myself really frustrated in that um, most people didn't really know how the products worked and I really wanted to learn. Uh, and the long and short is I ended up uh, moving to DC and taking a job uh, on Capitol Hill working for Congresswoman Jane Harmon. And, uh, supported her in energy and commerce work and homeland security and supporting some of our other staff who did some of the intelligence work. And that's kind of how I got into cybersecurity was through policy uh, and really focusing on, you know, what are the appropriate left and right limits as a country? What do we need to do to protect our companies and our assets and our national security? Uh, and, you know, I sat in my office with a little CCNA book, uh, you know, a little, uh, you know, I mean, some layer two and layer three components literally under my desk to try to teach myself network engineering. Uh, and I ended up getting out here to Colorado uh, as part of my work in cybersecurity when I moved over to the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, and I helped run and manage mobile security operations programs and uh, worked at the NIST labs in Boulder as a guest researcher uh, through my time with Homeland Security. And it was awesome. I mean, learned how to break things, learned how to build things, learned how things should be built, <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, got into the research field, and it was pretty beautiful. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I got lucky. Yeah, so I know as, um, as part of your role there, you know, one of the things that you did was you got a, a chance to work on the, the creation of the uh, NIST cybersecurity framework. Yeah. Um, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about that, you know, what you did there and totally, and I'm sure that there, that was a pretty cool ride. It was fun. Um, you know, and I came at this kind of in a, in a weird perspective because I was kind of a jack of all trades. I worked for this interesting office at the department of Homeland security and focused really a lot on communication security. And that's one of the, uh, you know, 16 critical infrastructure and key resource sectors, the, the communication sector. Uh, and I got pulled into this to support the whole executive order, um, specifically in the development of incentives and some aspects of the framework itself, uh, and had a great opportunity to work with researchers at NIST, uh, economists at Homeland Security and Treasury, uh, strategy and operations managers throughout not just the federal government, but then also in the private sector. And so to their credit, uh, DHS and NIST did a really awesome job at doing outreach um, you know, I wonder how 
effective a lot of the inputs were. Uh, and so I think we'll see new revisions coming out uh, for the NIST cybersecurity framework uh, as part of that to make sure it's adaptive. But it was uh, getting thrown into the deep end, you know, for, for somebody who loves communications networks and, you know, really had a, a strong interest in offensive security, having to, you know, think about compliance frameworks, regulation, the economics involved in control development. Uh, that's, that was really heady and, and really fun and important work. What, what do you think one of the most difficult things was in, in working, doing that work to, to help create the framework? I mean, I know, you know as part of the executive order, there was a really short runway um, yeah. to have that done. Um, did you see challenges there? What other challenges did you guys see? Yeah, I think there, there, there probably should have been, uh, I think, a little bit longer runway involved, not necessarily because that affected outcomes. I think it affected adoption in some way because, you know, in order to get an entire country to really focus on um, a piece of policy, it, it takes a lot of, quite frankly, marketing and community engagement. And those are some of the things that weren't necessarily lacking, but they weren't optimized, in my opinion. Uh, but the framework ended up turning out, I think, very, very well, in part because it's based on a number of other frameworks that are very well known and very well vetted, right? And so this is really an agreement of, out of the whole universe of other frameworks and controls that we use, which ones do we think are really essential and really effective and can be measured and tested? Um, and, and so to that part, uh, I think that worked well. Um, you know, I still question whether or not people take it and other compliance approaches, and, and not compliance, but risk management framework approaches, really seriously, and if they really integrate them into their companies. So, um, you know, I've done a decent amount of work with the framework since it's been released. Yeah. I, I have a, a training class that I, I try and teach people how to use the framework. Totally. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in using it is that in a lot of areas, it, it's extremely, extremely vague. Yeah. Um, or, or pieces are just missing. Um, was that something that was, was consciously done um, or was it just sort of a, you know, oh, hey, we're running out of time. We just got to get this out the door. Yeah. So this is, um, I think the comment around this is not necessarily unique to the NIST cybersecurity framework, but rather to frameworks that are developed by committees where there are lots of politics involved. Um, and that's, that's ultimately, I think, a challenge, not for just the federal government, but organizations like GSMA and IETF and 3GPP and any kind of standards body. Um, and, and I would imagine that in you know, development of COBIT and other frameworks, some of these things also uh, kind of sneak up on you, right? Uh, and it's a question of you know, you know, should versus may. Right. That, that's that's the constant debate among standards engineers and and, you know, framework developers. And there's a lot of stuff that was, you know, made it into the May category that ultimately I just don't know if people really thought was of necessary importance. Um, and, you know, it it also depends on who you are and what you're using it for. Right. And, and it's really a user driven doc. And so to that end. You know, I think the expectation is to leave it up to the users to define some of that for themselves. Yeah, I mean, one of the big things for me is, you know, that there's uh, there's really three components to it. You know, there's the the, the core, the profile, mm -hmm. and the tiers. Yeah. Well, when it came out, there was there was not even an example of what a profile should yeah, look like. Yeah, that's right. Um, did, was that a debate among the folks that were trying to create this? Is hey, should we put something out there that at least gives people guidance, other than 
you know, sort of a big idea. Totally. So that, that I'll, I'll be honest in that, that part I'm not in the room for, right? Okay. But I can totally imagine what that looks like because the, the profile is where a lot of the sensitivity comes in, right? right? About like what we think is in bounds for the discussion, what's out of bounds for discussion. Um, and there's a lot of hesitation amongst people in the federal government that when you're creating something, the natural reaction, especially in D.C., is just to pound on it. Um, and so I could imagine, but I have no way of knowing, that there's a conversation that happens about how much risk exposure do we want to open up for ourselves um, you know, to just endless infighting. And if I were the program manager on that, uh, you know, I would have tried to limit that as much as I could. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, examples of how to use it, you know, training around it. Uh, videos that go through like, you know, this is how we reasonably expect people to implement this. That's the stuff that I, as practitioner, I would love. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, you know, been one of the, the frustrations that I've had and, and partially why I created the training course that I have is so, right. hey, this is my idea of how you would do it. Yeah. You know, maybe, uh, you know, we can talk amongst folks and, and try and figure that out. So, well, to your credit, I mean, you know, the, the people who walked into your secure, secure world, uh, you know, uh, training conference had smiles on their faces. So that seemed to have worked. So, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah, man. So, um, you know, switching gears a little bit, um, you know, why don't we talk a little bit more about what it is that, um, that SecureSet is and, sure. and what it is that you guys do, um, you know, some of the, the, the things that you're trying to provide for the community here. Yeah. So for me and my, my co-founder, uh, Brett Fund, you know, a lot of this was built out of, uh, I think, honestly, frustration. Um, you know, seeing an opportunity, of course, but just kind of getting tired of seeing the same stuff over and over again. And so what we built was a platform. And the way that SecureSet works is we have a platform that currently has uh, two, two arms to it. Uh, the first one is a uh, cybersecurity accelerator, which I already discussed. And the other is a cybersecurity academy, which has been up and running for about the past year, year and a half. Uh, and the way that the academy works uh, is that we go out and we actually educate. And I want to make a delineation between training and education. Training is usually something that happens over the course of a couple of days. Um, maybe not even a couple of days. Maybe it's just one full day. Education is something that's very progressive and long form. And so what we've done is created a core program that has a 20-week uh, daytime full-time component or a 36-week uh, part-time evening component. And we teach all of the things that you would need to do, know to have a real operational capability at an entry level, right? We don't advertise that we're gonna make somebody, you know, the next like rock star reverse engineer where you're gonna be crushing out assembly. You know, I mean, we teach assembly, we work through it. Um, that's at the higher end of the capability set. But really what we're focusing on is network security, system security, logs and detection, analysis capabilities, applied cryptography, not the math on it, right? There's right. some math, uh, you know, but the application of it um, and governance, risk, and compliance. Uh, and so, you know, we've really focused on that and we're in Denver now. We're opening a Colorado Springs campus. We'll also be announcing uh, another campus uh, uh, outside of the Colorado region. Uh, and we'll be really making some great progress on, I think, changing the way that people engage security as a field and also how they learn. Um, it's so much more efficient to do this than it is to slog through three years of on-the-job training where you're not actually in security. You're like a, right. a line guy taking tickets, right? Um, our graduates, they don't get those jobs. They get tier two jobs. 
you know, we've had great success uh, in putting them into MSSPs, putting them into uh, you know operational environments in healthcare and telecom and so on and so forth. We're really proud of that. So, uh, so what sort of uh, person are you aiming at to, to be giving this training to? Is this yeah. something where, you know, oh, maybe you're already in security and you're trying to, to hone a skill set and get better? Or is this maybe somebody that's already in IT and they want to move into security? Totally. You know, what, what's the aim for the audience? Yeah, I think for, for us, the audience is somebody who is, you know, very technically capable. But, I mean, we're not talking... You know, like they're just sitting down and writing thousands of lines of Ruby, right? You know, or, you know, see, pick your language, right? That's a whole debate, right? But what we normally see are people who've got some strength and capability in networking and systems. Uh, they've worked in IT probably, uh, or they've been a really passionate hobbyist that has real capability. Uh, and I want to delineate this from like, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, goes on Cyberry for a couple of hours, uh, which is a great service and one we actually encourage all of our students at all of our levels to go through, uh, but somebody who does a couple of classes and then thinks they're good, right? There's real capability that's needed, but it's absolutely not unattainable. We're talking, you know, dedicate a couple of months of working on your own on like Linux implementation or some basic networking. If you have a CCNA, you're good. Um, you know, if you've been a sysadmin for any period of time, you're good. We can work with that and we can make you a lot stronger. Uh, and we've proven success in that. We also have people who are currently in security who know that there's a whole world that they don't know. Um, and so it's very common for us to get applications into admit students for people who actually work in the security field, but they want to really level up and they want to compress a couple of years of content uh, into a short period of time. Uh, and the last thing I'd note is we're one of the only institutions of our category, not just cybersecurity, but code schools, data science schools. We actually have the ability to transfer almost an entire year of undergraduate computer science out of our 20-week program into Norge University and CSU Global here in Colorado. So someone comes and takes your classes here, but they want to get a you know a, a bachelor's or something like that, a bigger degree, they yeah. can take the, the credit from here and transfer it somewhere else? Absolutely. And That's I mean, awesome. think about how powerful that is too, right? Like you get to really focus on the thing you wanted to learn. You're probably paying less by coming through SecureSet. Uh, and now, if you are a veteran who has GI Bill, we have a method for being able to accept the GI Bill. Um, so there's lots of ways to come here and be successful. So that's what we do for students. And then separately, we also have a whole program built around startups where we focus on this other frustration that we've had, right? So there's the people frustration. We need more people. We need them to be effective. We need them to be really well-trained and thoughtful. But separately, we need the same things out of our products. We need products that are actually answering real problems, not just have a feature set or another threat intel feed or something that's kind of commoditized, you know, and which is really why we focused around these kind of nine values that we have. And some of them are like, you know, products that enable developers to make them stronger. So we have fewer and less significant vulnerabilities to begin with, right? Changing the economics about how attacking actually works. Uh, focusing on collaboration between tools and between people in security, which is, I think, a huge problem that almost no one talks about. Being able to actually make information quickly actionable, either through automation or just more effective utilization of tools and content. We have a whole list of them, and we'll be soon coming out with a, a white paper that discusses at least the way we view um, the real issues in the, in the security product market. So we'll fund companies who do a better job in those spaces. 
So uh, how does someone get involved with that? Yeah. Um, do they... Do you go out and search for for folks that have ideas? Um, do you know are people coming to you and saying, um, "Hey, I've got this this great product, but I, I need some money. I need some advice." How is it that that the this uh, this starts? Yeah, totally. So you know, we do a, what we think actually is a good job of trying to be really industrious and find people who have interesting and weird and clever ideas. And we do that in a lot of fashions. We do that by working with local startup communities, not just here in Colorado but nationally. Uh, we also work with. Um, you know, a lot of the, the venture funds who see deals in this space, um, some early stage uh, angel investors, but we also try and collaborate with the security research community. I mean, we, we actually do security. We don't do anything else. You know, you're not going to come to the SecureSet Accelerator and be sitting next to a startup that is trying to build a better yoga studio, right? And so by actually specializing and focusing on product development and engineering, we are naturally attracting, I think, a higher quality and caliber of entrepreneurs. Now, granted, many of them are very technically focused, and that's great for us. We then also have to work on the other things of how do you build a company? How do you deliver a service? How do you build a team? And we're very equipped to be able to do that because we've done it ourselves. Um, and beyond just we've done it ourselves, we also work with a great number of people who have also done it successfully and unsuccessfully, where they get to tell you how they failed and what the pitfalls are, and just be real about what the problems are in starting an early stage company. So, you know, one of the things that I've seen um, with some startups, and, you know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, that, you know, you're, you're trying to get uh, products that, that make a difference in the market, not just, um, oh, hey, we do the same thing as someone else, but we do it cheaper, or we do it, yeah. you know, things like that. Um, how, how's it that you get that feedback um, to know what it is that the market really needs and that these products you know, really will help move the needle. Totally. So we do this in a couple of fashions. So the first way is uh, we've we've been really industrious in trying to identify requirements uh, in a number of different sectors. So we've actually gone and done customer interviews and evaluation uh, at a great number of companies in the healthcare space, in telecom, in finance, in retail, uh, and, in, and in infrastructure. And so we have a good screen just on the front end of what's not working. And that's important and helpful for us to make some decisions, but there's really very limited benefit to the startup there. So the way that we've decided to do this so that everyone benefits is we try and bring the market into the process. So we're actively recruiting mentors, both technical and non-technical, who are ready and able to give product feedback, give input to the startups, help them build a product that meets a need that's not currently being met. And the great part is these small companies are you know, filled with wonderful engineering talent, which is great, but they're incentivized differently from major players. Major players have marginal incentive to consider and provide feedback, right? They end up doing it, but it takes them a very long time. For a really small company that's scrappy and highly motivated and has myself and my, my business partner, Dave Odom, kicking them in the rear every day, they have incredibly high, percent, high uh, incentive to perform, and we're going to keep them on track to make sure that they deliver back into the market. Awesome. Uh, going back to the, the education component mm -hmm. uh, for a minute, um, you know, I, I hear over and over again that there is a, you know, lack of you know, name your number, you know, yeah. 1 million, 2 million, how, however many people. Totally. Uh, what, it's huge. Yeah. <laughs> huge. Huge. Uh, what, what's your feeling on um, what the talent market really looks like in cybersecurity? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you guys are trying to provide um, services so that, that people can um, 
you know, be better in that market. But yeah. but do you feel like that there really is that much of a uh, a gap in the skills that the, that we need? Yeah, it's, it's a good. It's actually a really good question, and I think it depends on what the company is that we're talking about. But so normatively, if we just localize it to Colorado, right? We think um, that there are around twelve thousand open jobs in the state for cybersecurity. But that's such a large and broad term that could encompass a number of people who are in network engineering or systems administration or compliance, right? And while I would grant you that all of those are fields of cybersecurity, the job itself may not just be dedicated to cybersecurity. So the output is, let's just make an estimation that there's under but around 12,000 open jobs. The issue is that people who roll out of university systems and I can say this confidently because I have two master's degrees and a double major in my bachelor's, yeah. right? Like people who roll out of um, even graduate programs in engineering like myself don't come equipped with the tools to be operationally ready for an environment in information security. They don't really tend to teach applicable and actionable real information security at a university level. So much of it is spent on theory or mathematics or potentially like these these interesting analytical methods like convex optimization or you know choose your choose your format for you know you know how you want to deliver some sort of equilibrium based analysis right that's all stuff that's the formal methods that we tend to do in graduate programs in computer science and telecom and so on and so forth but you know what they they don't teach you how to harden a server they don't teach you how to do analysis off of your sim they don't teach you how to use real economics and cybersecurity like return on security investment and they certainly don't almost ever teach you anything about like how to do reverse engineering of you know malware or you know choose your own adventure right those are those are things that there are very specialized universities and there's a small number of them that do them very well but in the you know many universities that we have in the American West, right? There's maybe three or four that I think would do this at a level uh, that, when their graduates came out, they could go and get a job for eighty to one hundred thousand dollars, making a significant impact in that company. So that's really what we're here for: is not to replace by any standard a university education, but it's to augment it based on years of feedback that we've gotten from the market. Awesome. You know, one of the other things that I feel like is lacking is, you know, you'll get someone who's um, who's wonderful technically, mm-hmm. um, but they have they, they lack a lot of the soft skills. Yeah, they, they, they can't talk to people totally, um, or they they aren't able to write effectively. Um, and I don't mean that that they're illiterate, totally, but, but just that they um, they don't communicate well. There's a style of writing for management. You know, and also writing for your peers. That's not like writing a technical paper, right? But that's constructing a memorandum. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why, as part of our course structure, we teach this thing called uh, strategy and analysis. And security culture is another course, where in both of those courses, we talk about how to actually communicate, how to manage up, how to hopefully one day become a manager yourself, and how to create a career path for you that's going to be successful, speaking to people who may not be technical. I mean, I think you and I both know a number of CISOs who are great managers, but they may not necessarily be engineers. And that's totally fine. But you have to be able to communicate to them no matter what your background is. I I completely agree. Um, So while I'm sure you would love for everyone to come and take the... Take classes here. Oh, that's right. Come uh, to the Secure Set Academy. Uh, <laughs> what is what's some advice you could offer people 
who um, you know might be looking to increase their skills, yeah. but, but can't come and and take courses here. Definitely, and I mean, so a lot of our ethos as as a, as a company is just trying to get people motivated, right? So. We have a bunch of free guides that we give out to people that are not even our courseware. Um, but if you want to get started and you are technical, right, one of the first things that I would do is find a CTF, find a capture the flag. Um, go and just sit down and try and play. Ask questions. It, you know, there is a, I think there's a feeling that people in the security community are somewhat off-putting. And I've never felt that, especially in Colorado. This is probably one of the most collaborative and warm and open places I've ever lived, especially as a security practitioner. Um, and that's one thing that really differentiates the state from others. But there's a lot of CTFs. Uh, we run them at SecureSet, DEF CON 303, D, you know, DC719, um, a, a bunch of the other crews. I think OWASP does them. Um, if you are not as technical as that, but you really want to learn, join ISSA. There's a great Denver chapter, uh, Boulder chapter. Uh, join ISACA if you have interest in compliance. If you're a student, they have really great and cheap rates that I availed myself of when I was a student. Um, and you just ask questions. Bug a bug a buddy, you know. And uh, I would really encourage people to focus on some of the primary issues too. You know, download a you know an image for Ubuntu. Get it going on a virtual machine. Learn how to do some basic Linux administration. Um, it is not as hard as people say. I'm not particularly good at it, and I will never hold myself out as somebody who is. Uh, but it's incredibly informative and will help you really understand the field. So you started talking about a little bit there, but um, I wanted to, to switch gears slightly towards Colorado and the Colorado security community. Yeah. Um, you had a couple comments there, but you know, what are some of the, the good things that you see about uh, security and the security community in Colorado? Yeah, uh, in the so I moved back. I moved out to originally Boulder in 2012, and it was interesting for me coming from DC, which is you know oftentimes seen as kind of a home for cybersecurity in the country, and I, and I think that's an artifact of you know the DoD and the intelligence community being there, um, and that's something to be really proud of, uh, but. They're, they do things very differently. You know, I've had friends who are staff officers or flag officers uh, in the DOD who've never heard about Ansible, Puppet, Chef, Salt, any of the automation tools. Like, they're totally foreign. And so one of the things that I first encountered when I came out here was that there's a great DevOps and dev community that also cares about security that is integrated into it that is not entirely separate. And normally they are. And that's really worrisome. Because people oftentimes find their way into security through being a developer. Uh, and if it's seen as they're two different and unrelated communities, it doesn't work. And which is why when I moved out here, one of the first things that I did was I started engaging in the OWASP, OWASP chapter, uh, Open Web Application Security Project. Uh, and there's a great chapter in Boulder, and the people who run it are really thoughtful. And the guys down in Denver Tech Center are brilliant and hilarious. And they put on a, a great community, and they do awesome events and great conferences like Snowfrock. Um, and I think the thing that you know comes out of that that I've seen almost everywhere else, whether it's B-Sides, Denver, ISSA, the Denver Boulder Cybersecurity Meetup, which is one that we run through SecureSet, um, everybody is interested in helping you be successful. There is almost no one, with rare exception, who is kind of a dick. You know, I mean, like people are actually very cool here. Uh, and it makes a very hard field 
very approachable. And I think if you just are honest and you ask questions and you're good to learn, no one will have a problem giving you some time and some advice. Uh, and, you know, Alex, I've gotten great advice from you uh, over probably the past two years and from Rob Reck, which has been beyond appreciated. Uh, and it's not just limited there, right? Like, I know I can pick up the phone anytime and call 50 people and get some help. Uh, and with enough of that, you can solve any problem. I, I knew there was a good reason you're doing this interview. I, I always like to have my butt kissed. So uh, I appreciate it's true. that. It's true. Here, the money's on the table. Um, <laughs> there's a nightstand over there. So. <laughs> Uh, well, Alex, I, I appreciate your time. This yeah, has man. been great. Um, any closing thoughts or, or anything you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, yeah, I mean, one one thing that I would uh, you know try and, and make an effort around. There's so many brilliant people who work in this field, and I think that's partially because we tend to solve really hard problems uh, and focus on really hard problems. And there's great researchers. Uh, Jacob Torrey, Don Bailey, uh, a great number of them who work out here. I have a lot of respect for. Instead of focusing on trying to be cool and break stuff and hack stuff, try and do the other thing. Build something that is incredibly difficult to break. Get involved in research and contributing to projects in the community. And I think the last thing is like realize that as a practitioner, as a researcher, as a novice, you have a voice and there's also important policy issues that you should get involved in, whether that's with the Colorado Electronic Frontier Alliance or other organizations, but just dip your toe in the water and don't be afraid to show up to a meeting. You know, we're, we're generally cool. Few of us bite. Most of us have beer. Awesome. That's great advice. Thank you. Well, thanks for your time. Um, this is the Colorado Equals Security Podcast, and we'll talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.